Hello, hello, and welcome back to Organic Gardening for Beginners. My name is Jessica from the blog Homegrown Food and Flowers, and this is the show that helps ambitious and inspired gardeners just like you turn your outdoor space into the happiest, most productive, and joyful garden that you could possibly build, no matter how much experience or how little experience you have. Today, unfortunately, we're talking about the opposite of getting your garden going, and that is the summer slowdown, specifically for your flowers. What should you do with your flowers at the end of the season? Do they go in the compost bin? Do they get tossed? Do you leave them behind? I have a bunch of tips for you of what you could do with them and a few things to not do with them that will help you get the most out of your garden at the end of the summer and get it as prepared as possible for next summer with a minimum of work and a maximum of helping out your local bird and bug population over the winter. All right, so first up, while you still have blooms going in the garden, if you want to save seeds, now is the time to start doing it. And in fact, you may have already started pulling some seeds from some of your earlier flowers. If you haven't yet, it is typically a pretty easy process. It's best to start with flowers that have larger seed heads if this is your, you know, your totally first time saving any seeds. And some of my favorite ones to start with are sunflowers, cosmos, nasturtiums, and zinnias are pretty easy too. Although zinnias, if once you save the seeds, they may not look exactly the same next year as the parent plant, the plant that you save the seeds from, because they will have cross-pollinated with other zinnias. But they're still beautiful. They're super easy to save, and it'll still save you a little bit of money. So Again, sunflowers, nasturtiums, cosmos, zinnias, and large seeded flower that you happen to have in your garden. You can obviously save the tiny seeds too. This just makes it a lot easier to save the larger ones. Once you see that the flower head has fully turned into seeds, what you want to do is cut it and put it somewhere to dry. What you absolutely don't want to do is put a green seed head into a plastic bag like a Ziploc bag, it will mold guaranteed. And so you will have nothing to do with it other than toss it or compost it. So put it in a paper bag to dry because that way the moisture can escape or leave it out like on a drying rack um, or just, you know, kind of somewhere out of the way where it can dry on its own. So, and make sure that you label them because I have been very bad about this in the past of gathering five different types of cosmos flowers and do I write the specific variety on the bag? No, I do not. And so I plant them anyways, and I see what I get. But if you're wanting a particular flower that you loved or a certain color, or, you know, whatever your reason, make sure you put the name on it. And a year is also a good idea. So that way, if you don't use them all next year and you have them, you know, for future years, then you can remember when they are from and how long they're likely to be viable for. While you're out there cutting seed heads, you can also look for flowers that are still in good shape that you can cut to dry or press and use them for either winter crafts, winter arrangements. Um, you can use the pressed flowers for decorating pumpkins. I just saw one of my favorite flower farmers to follow on YouTube. Her name is Kristen at Shifting Roots. She pressed small flowers and then put them on her pumpkin bouquets and I thought it was super cute. So I might be trying that this year. Um, and so you can you can save those beautiful flower heads for later in the year. Straw flowers are one of the best flowers to dry. They last their their nickname is everlasting flower. Like it'll never not look good as a dried flower. 
So straw flowers, um, yarrow is another very popular flower to dry. I never tried scabiosa, but I would like to try in the future, especially the seed pods. They are like these fuzzy gumdrops that I think could look really awesome in a dried bouquet. And also celosia makes a really nice dried flower, especially if you have the plume or feathered varieties. So if you happen to have any of those growing in your garden, try saving some and uh, see what you can do with them this winter. Now, aside from collecting the flower heads and the seed heads, I would encourage you to leave as many flowers in the garden as possible, even if they're winding down and are starting to look a little bit sad or in the next few weeks, they start to look a little bit sad as rain sets in, maybe some colder temperatures. If you have the space and the inclination, I would recommend that you leave your flowers behind. And this is for several reasons. The first of which is because all of those seed heads that you have left behind that you didn't take for collecting seeds to save, the birds will be all over them, especially the kind of prairie type flowers like cone flowers, also known as echinacea, or um, blanket flower or black-eyed Susan. Man, the birds love those. And each flower head produces thousands of seeds. So it can go a long way to providing some food, some nutrition for the birds for as long as that flower is in the garden. So like I said, if you can stomach it because some people like to really tidy up the garden at the end of the season. And I get it, you know, you want to kind of put it to bed. But if you can, leave them behind. Uh, and another benefit of doing that is that overwintering beneficial insects can use it for hibernation habitat, uh, especially like ladybugs. They need to go somewhere where they are protected from the ele elements. Even some bees will overwinter overwinter, excuse me, in hollow stalks like of a sunflower or a black-eyed Susan. And so by leaving that plant debris behind, you are increasing their chances of finding an appropriate habitat to hang out over the wintertime until they can emerge in the spring and resume their work in your garden, helping you out with pests and all that. And, you know, of course, I have to acknowledge that you might have some not so good bugs overwintering in there as well. So as with everything, that one is a little bit of a balance, you know, somewhat of a give and a take. If you are willing to provide shelter for overwintering beneficials, you might also have a few overwintering not so beneficials, which for me is a good enough trade-off. I don't mind at all because I just want to increase the likelihood of having those beneficial insects and pollinators in my garden. So just as I always say, something to keep in mind to make a decision, you know, of what works for you. Another reason to leave plant matter behind is that all those roots in the soil will break down over the winter, which will add organic matter and nutrition and food for the micro microorganisms in the soil to build up your soil quality all winter long. So instead of pulling everything out and leaving bare dirt, which is not ideal, and we're going to get into it a little bit more this episode and a lot more next episode. Leaving the soil planted is the best thing you can do for your garden. So like I said, it's going to build soil quality, build organic matter. It's kind of like putting compost on your garden beds without actually having to go get compost because those roots are going to break down and do the work that imported compost would do. And by imported, I just mean brought in from somewhere else, not international. Um, and then by keeping your soil planted, you're also reducing the chances of weeds taking over. 
and you might not see a whole lot of weed activity in the winter and in the fall and the winter, just like, you know, you're not really growing much of a productive crop either. But you can bet your bottom dollar that as soon as it warms up and as soon as the sun starts to uh, lengthen the days a little bit in the springtime, weeds are going to be all over your garden bed from the weed seeds that the birds have dropped, that the wind has blown in, that were in the soil and have risen to the surface via erosion from winter rains or uh, um, what's it called? Frost heave as the soil shifts with repeated cycles of freezing and thawing. You will have weeds, so leaving it planted is kind of like an insurance policy against having to deal with all of those in the spring. Now, just like with the bad bugs, doesn't mean that some weeds won't get through, but if you imagine leaving your flower plants in place and a few weeds, you know, working their way in versus a totally empty bed, you can easily justify leaving behind some plants to minimize the amount of weeds that could potentially pop up in an empty garden bed. Hopefully that makes sense. Lastly, if you leave your plants behind and they go through repeated freezes or even just wet, soggy weather, the debris is going to be way, way easier to clean up in the spring because chances are it's going to be pretty smushy, pretty soft from the freezing process and the rain. And so clearing out the debris, it'll probably be a lot more we'll say malleable rather than having stiff dried um, stalks and branches and leaves to clear out in the fall. So all told, if you can leave everything in your garden, if you can, it'll look a little messy. I totally get it, but it's for the better of your local wildlife, for your soil, and it'll also save you time on the other end in the spring. If you do need to clear out old plants, dead plants, you know, the debris that you don't want to leave behind, please try, just experiment. Try cutting off the stems at the soil line instead of pulling the plants out completely. And this will clear everything from the surface up, like what you what is visible, but then it will still leave the roots in the soil to decompose like I just talked about. It's a nice little compromise. Instead of leaving everything there, you're still leaving behind some organic matter to feed your soil microorganisms, give your worm something to work on, um, and uh, and it'll, again, build your soil for you over the wintertime instead of having to bring in compost the next season, which you still can do because you really can't have too much compost, but it will get you ahead of the curve without doing any extra work. Now, if leaving the roots behind is just an absolute no-no for you, then when you do pull out your plants, make sure to shake off as much dirt as possible to let it fold it back down onto the garden bed so that you are not taking too much of your valuable soil away and then immediately put down a layer of mulch. Because like I mentioned before, if you have your bed completely empty and bare soil all winter long, you are going your garden is going to be vulnerable to erosion meaning that the rain and snow and even wind will potentially wash or blow your soil away over the course of the winter months. Nothing devastating, but, you know, it adds up winter over winter. And why would you want to sacrifice any of your beautiful garden soil? 
So cover it with mulch, wood chips, leaves. Leaves will be in abundance if they're not already. My trees are already starting to drop their leaves. Um, you can even use half-finished compost, like not something that is too fresh for you to plant in yet, but that if you put it on top of your garden beds now where it's kind of chunky, you can still see some of the plant matter in it. It's going to continue to break down over the winter, especially as, again, it's exposed to the elements, the birds are picking through it and helping you kind of scatter it and break it up. So just you choose something, a compost that you can have easy access to and spread that out over your garden if you're not leaving everything behind and you will definitely be happier for it in the springtime. For those flowers that you take out, whether you cut them off at the soil line or you pull them out completely, the compost pile would be my number one recommendation. Pretty much every flower you can compost. The only thing I would recommend against is if you have something like a morning glory, if you are growing it as a um, as an ornamental, because morning glory, also known as bindweed, or I've heard it pronounced bindweed, um, is a weed, like the worst weed ever, because the roots can reproduce from just the tiniest, tiniest little segment. And once you have it in your garden, good luck to you getting rid of it. Um, and so there are non-invasive morning glory varieties that are sold as, you know, like a, a pretty flower to grow. Heck no, you couldn't pay me to put that in my garden because just in case. So if you have it and you want to err on the side of caution, I personally would not put even a non-invasive morning glory in my compost pile. Heck, I wouldn't even be growing it in the first place. But just a little word to the wise, just watch out if you've got morning glory. If you happen to stumble across some pretty morning glory on your property and you're pulling some of it down, don't toss it in your compost. You will regret it. Toss it, unfortunately, in the garbage because, or leave it in place. Just set it right back down on the ground and walk away and don't spread it anywhere. Um, gosh, I think I can't get through an episode without one of my little side note tangents. In any case, throw all your flowers in the compost. Everything will be fine. Even seed heads, sad looking shredded leaves. It doesn't even matter. It's all going to break down anyways. The only thing really that could benefit from getting chopped up a little is something like a sunflower stalk, just because it's a little bit bigger, it's bulkier, it's going to take a little bit longer to break down. The exception being if you're starting a new pile, then the sunflower stalks are awesome to put on the bottom of the pile in kind of a pickup sticks fashion where they're all kind of stacked and layered on top of each other because that will, for a while, until they get smushy and break down, it will lift your pile off the ground just a tiny bit to allow for some airflow instead of being straight on the ground. And so if you're going to pull up your sunflowers or, you know, cut them off, then that's a great way to get kind of double duty where they will break down and provide compost, but they will also allow for a little extra airflow for a time uh, in your compost pile. And this really only works if you're doing a pile that's not in a container, like something like a compost uh, tumbler or, you know, those little kind of gumdrop shaped ones that are more enclosed. Those ones you would definitely need to chop up your sunflower stalks, otherwise they would not fit. And then if you have noticed any sort of disease, it's really up to you if you want to put a diseased plant in your compost or not. And I mentioned this in a previous episode where there are mixed anecdotal sentiments over whether putting something like a zinnia with 
powdery mildew in your compost is going to be a benefit or a detriment, whether the powdery mildew will spread throughout your garden. I typically don't do it. I don't put a diseased plant in my compost just because kind of like with the morning glory, I don't want to take any chances, but it is on my mental to-do list to research further and potentially um, change my decision based off of what I found. Maybe there have been some studies published recently that I'm not aware of, of whether or not powdery mildew will survive a slow, cold compost. I don't typically hot compost, which means it's a much more active pile that reaches higher temperatures. I do more of a hands-off cold compost where I just dump it all in a pile and I come back a year later, maybe less, maybe more. Uh, And now that we have chickens on our property, they have access to it too, to help turn it, break it down, fertilize it. Um, And uh, and a cold compost is not as efficient at killing off disease pathogens or weed seeds. So as with everything, something to keep in mind, depending on what type of compost you're doing and the risk that you are willing to assume by putting diseased plants into your compost pile. If you want to speed up your compost process as much as possible with these flowers, then what you can do is cut them off at the soil line if you're not leaving them behind, dump them on your lawn, and then run them over with your lawnmower. So that way all of the um, all the flower plant debris gets chopped up into much smaller pieces. And then with all that increased surface area, they'll break down significantly faster than if you just take the whole plant and toss it in your compost pile. So if you're hoping to have some finished compost by the spring, chopping it up in smaller pieces is a great way to do that. And actually, I talked about that a while back on my episode about mulches for the garden. You can do the same thing with leaves as you're tidying up the garden already. If you have a lawn covered in leaves and you choose not to leave them there, then you can make sure you have the collection bag on your lawnmower and then run over all the leaves, toss your flowers on there while you're at it, and you'll have much smaller pieces to put in your pile that will break down way, way faster. With all of those, you've got many, many things to try to keep your garden, to not to keep it, to get it tidied up uh, at the end of the season as your flowers are slowing down. So to reiterate, try saving some flower heads for crafts like drying or pressing. Save seeds. It's always a fun experiment to see what you get, and it's a great way to save a few bucks here and there. Leave as many flowers in the garden as possible. It will feed your wildlife, it'll feed the soil, it'll prevent weeds, and it'll be easier to clean up in the spring. If that doesn't work for you, then try cutting your flowers off at the soil line instead of pulling them up so that you are still leaving the root ball in the soil to break down and build that organic matter over the winter anyways. And then if you have to pull them out, shake off as much dirt as possible and toss them in your compost pile. That way you are still building some fertility on site. You are still building up organic matter that you can put on your soil in the springtime rather than tossing it into a landfill, unless it is blatantly diseased and you don't want to risk spreading that throughout your garden. And multipurpose when you can. Use those sunflower stalks at the bottom of your compost pile. And uh, you can even, I have heard, I have not tried this myself, but you can use dried sunflower stalks, the smaller ones, or more narrow, I should say, to build something like a bee house and see if you 
can build something that overwintering bees want to make a nest in since sunflowers have hollow stalks. And with that, hopefully you've got an idea or two that you are going to implement this fall. And I want to remind you that the waitlist is live for the Guided Garden Box subscription. You will get monthly curated seeds delivered right to you when it is the best time to plant them, along with video tutorials of exactly how to plant them, monthly live Zoom calls where you can ask questions, show off your successes, maybe get some feedback on the plants that aren't doing so well. You'll get monthly checklists so that you aren't forgetting tasks and things that you need to do in the garden that month. Even if your life is hectic and your crazy schedule makes it difficult to get out there, I totally understand how this goes. And then finally, I have a few ideas for these upcoming months of how to help you keep growing even when it is cold, dark, and the days are short outside, such as with microgreens, sprouts, and forcing flower bulbs indoors so that you can still have the beauty of the garden even in the middle of the darkest January. If you're interested, the link is in the show notes for the waitlist. Check it out. Let me know if you have any questions. And next week, I am back with a few other ideas for getting your garden winter ready this fall so that you can end the season with a bang. See you next week.